We love children here on New Persuasive Words, and we know many of you, our listeners, have children. Some of them we even know. And while we love them and love you, some of the language we use in this episode might not be appropriate for them. So if you're listening to this in the car or someplace where tiny humans are present, you might want to turn it down or listen later. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Persuasive words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And one of our listeners said, you know, Bill, you should sing on the podcast. You've never said I should sing on the podcast. I have never said, although I thought your rap as I did rap. Lil Bill was novel. Right. All right. Well, at any rate, um, for me, one of the most moving moments in uh, Obama's inauguration was when James Taylor sang America the Beautiful. And I'm pretty sure that James Taylor wasn't going to be invited nor would he go. So I, I did a little writing. I sent it to Toby Keith. Um, and I didn't watch the inauguration. So was this sung there or not? I don't, would the Toby Keith sing? No. Oh. No. Well, I don't know if Toby, I, no, Toby Keith didn't sing. All right. Well, I think. And didn't sing this selection. Well, then I think, I think America needs to hear it. Yeah. I mean, in, in the couple hundred Americans, well, I don't know that all of our listeners are American. Yeah. So Australians and Brits and some Germans. They will hear this. This is for everybody. All the people of the world. All the people. Oh, deregulated for more polluted skies, for amber wavy hair, for alternative truths of immensity, and a gun in every school to keep away the bear. America, America, your carnage is all I see. We'll foreclose your hoods and no more imported goods from ever warming sea to ever warming sea. Billboard, everybody. He's here till Thursday. So. All right. Well, there it was. That was that was an original composition. I thought, it, it, I'll, I'll be quite honest. I I thought it was much better than your rap debut on the show. I think that that's it's more your genre. I'm a little emotional right now, so it'll take me a while to get okay, good. to get back. Thank you for that. Uh, although I've made more money off the rap, but that's another story. So yeah, I think that like 
the ra- the rap you're on the, the kind of one and the three a little bit, but the here your your tempo's yeah. good. You're, you have a good folk singing voice. Thank you, thank you. I, and it's very inspiring and moving and sentimental. That's how I started out as a singer, and uh, you know, look where it's got me. Exactly right here <laughs> in the bunker. In the bunker. So, uh, in case of whatever apocalypse now we're waiting for, uh, there would be music in the bunker, even if the power fails. There's all sorts of things in the bunker, folks. There are all sorts of things all in the bunker. All sorts, some of which is. Although we need, if anybody has a lamp, a nice lamp in our listening vicinity in the greater Philadelphia area that you want to part with and you live close by, because I don't want to, I'm not, I probably wouldn't drive outside of Bucks, greater Langhorn to get it. But if you're, so this is a very narrow well, and, and I'm going to Philadelphia this week, so if, if, you had you're, on, it, if you're on my way, I'll, I'll stop by and get it. Because we need, we could use a little interior. If you want to contribute to the cause, we could use some more interior lighting in the bunker. It's we getting, could call it... We would make it a could make it a memorial lamp. We could make it, uh, you know, we would give you credit and you'd be named. And we'll you'd, send you a picture. You'd be immortally uh, part of the bunker. So, um, yeah. Well, and by the way, because there's probably going to be thousands of responses. Again, don't to feel bad if we don't choose your your submission. So, yeah, exactly. It's nothing personal. I mean, when these kinds of decisions, we just we got to do what's best for the show. Right. Well, I want to. I want to remark. I want to make. I just want to read you the opening from a, a truly, truly, tremendously great book by Harry Frankfurt. He needs some more adverbs there. Is that <laughs> truly tremendous? It's a tremendous, well, tremendously good book. Yeah, this is the most, the best opening sentence I've ever, I think, maybe read in a book. One of the most salient features of our culture is that there is so much bullshit. <laughs> it goes on to say, everyone knows this. Each of us contributes his share but we tend to take the situation for granted. Most people are rather confident of their ability to recognize bullshit and to avoid being taken in by it. So the phenomena has not aroused much deliberate concern nor attracted much sustained inquiry. Wow. (laughs) The title of the book is On Bullshit. On Bullshit, wow. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, you know, it would be fun if you could, that could have been a reading. Those of you who are, you know, are uh, 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 those of you who have who are in grade school listening to us, uh, do not take that book to school for uh, for your reading time. I'm sure we have a lot of primary educational listeners. <laughs> we we do, we do. I don't know though. It might be this might be the most practical thing you could do for a child's education is to make them more aware of the salient reality that is. Well, we, you know, one of the things we bullshit. <laughs> so we talked after the last podcast. Thank you for uh, all of your comments on that. Uh, you know, one of the things we, we even Scott and I were talking about, uh, uh, I forget one of the many times we talk, uh, was that one of the things that's great about this vehicle of podcasting, at least the way we do new persuasive words, is it, it helps us think through things. I mean, we're actually, we treat this as inviting you to a conversation. And, uh, and this idea of objectivity, which is uh, about as relevant as you could could possibly uh, want somebody to be, given the pretty extraordinary um, events over the weekend that uh, the most powerful man in the free world uh, got into a Vlad- tw- Vladimir Putin, <laughs> uh, the second most powerful man in the free world, uh, President uh, Trump, 
got into a, a, a Twitter war about exactly what the ratings were and how many people were at the inauguration. And then we got the new press secretary uh, going uh, ballistic on the press in his first meeting with them. And then we have the new, perhaps one of the most important phrases of 2017, alternative facts being given to us by um, – Maybe the most uh, Machiavellian person of our day and time. I if think. I if I were if I were the, de- the head of the DNC, I'd say I propose we offer her two billion dollars to become a Democrat. I've I mean, heard, she's the best political talent that money can buy. I've heard that all upper management in hell have lost their jobs. Well, yeah, she's good <laughs> because she just has taken them. <laughs> yeah, and so what what does this have to do with our ongoing discussion of what is objectivity? Well. Lying and bluffing, uh, Frankfurt argues, are both modes of misrepresentation or deception. But a liar is trying to deliberately promulgate something that's false. Bluffing, too, he thinks, is you're typically devoted to conveying something false. But unlike plain lying, it's more a matter not of falsity, but, but fakery. This is what accounts, he thinks, to bluffing's proximity in meaning to bullshit. For the essence of bullshit, he says, is not that it is false, but that it is phony. In order to appreciate this distinction, one must recognize that a fake or a phony need not be in any respect apart from authenticity itself inferior to the real thing. What is not genuine need not also be defective in some other way. It may be, after all, an exact copy. What is wrong with a counterfeit is not what it is like, but how it was made. This points to a similar and fundamental aspect of the essential nature of bullshit. Although it is produced without concern with the truth, it does not need to be false. The bullshitter is faking things, but this does not mean that he necessarily gets them wrong. And he says that in Eric Ambler's novel, Dirty Story, a character named Arthur, Abdel Simpson recalls advice that he received from, as a child from his father. And this is what every father should say to his son. Although I was only seven when my father was killed, I still remember him very well. And some of the things he used to say, one of the first things he taught me was, never tell a lie when you can bullshit your way through. Wow. So what do we have going on right now? Do we have lies? Do we have bluffing? Or do we have bullshitting going on in our public discourse? Yeah, I think he thinks that bullshitting and bluffing are are similar. And I think he's probably right about the fakery thing. Because it's very interesting that when the pre- the press secretary did much better today, like his I watched his I watched the whole press conference and he was his tone was better he was he was more professional he was there were jokes it was it was it was good uh, it, it, but he uh, is interesting because he said what I said was this that that this inauguration was the most watched in person and uh, and around the world period right now. This is where I think I actually don't. This is the difference between lying and bullshitting, because I think the sentence wanted to be to get to the full level of misrepresentation that a lie is. It would not have been quite as pliable, so that he could. So that the, 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 I mean, what was intended behind that whole thing was Donald Trump is unpopular. Right. You know, and quite, and you could argue and growing that way. Yeah. And you could argue, you know, from, I, mean, I feel like that's something that's not a partisan judgment. He's just, he's the most unpopular person coming through a transition 
the transition period of the inauguration since the history of polling. The administration, no, Donald Trump doesn't like it. I'm sure his administration doesn't like it. No one likes being unpopular, especially right. when you think you're doing something meaningful. Well, so, yeah, many presidents find their popularity collapsing on the second day. Yeah, right. office. <laughs> so, you know, so, so here, I mean, what, what he's trying to say is that the crowd was huge. It was big that that he was trying, he's trying to sort of change the impression right. of the unpopularity. So I actually think that like, that that's why the actual words are are not as important. Where again, if you're trying to propagate a lie, this is why Frankfurt thinks Augustine talks about. You know, that there, I think in his treatise on lying, there's eight types of lies. Seven are utilitarian. They're not lies for the lie's sake. The eighth type is actual lying for the end of deception, which makes you a liar. Right. And he thinks that what the what the liar and the truth teller do though is they're still playing flip sides of the same game. Right. They both are concerned with external reality. One right. to conform to it. One to know it well enough to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the, the bullshitter really does not. It's not. It's no concern except their own interior right. perception and, and what they think is real and for them and and making their reality. The world's reality. So I think that on that, with that regard, now I, I was thinking about how, like, if I could find another example from the previous administration, when Barack Obama got out and said, "Everybody's going to be able to keep their doctor," I don't think it was a lie. I think it was more akin to bullshitting. I yeah, think he's right. thinking this is going to be great, and because it's great, I'm sure there's going to be provisions where everybody's going to get. This. Nobody's going to. Now, of course, we we know that. With any insurance company, when you change things in network, out of network, it's not like that you couldn't keep it. But the the, the reality the, is, the, when cost, you, the cost of keeping the cost of keeping, keeping will change. Right, so, right. but nobody wants to communicate. Nobody. Want, I think he thought this is an important program. It's going to be a beneficial program. So, for the for that fact, I will say this thing that matches my perception of the reality. Right, which I think has been. A, it's. I think a lot of. I mean, a lot of campaigning in the past has been that. I mean, you know, I don't think I, I think there are people who, in, in the public realm, I mean, for instance, I think there are preachers who who lie from the pulpit uh, consciously. But I think um, most preachers and politicians and whatever you know, people in the public realm, I don't usually, I don't think what they, I think they're not, they're not usually consciously lying, uh, uh, and, and unless they. Um, you know, if to consciously lie means that there's there is evil intent. Now, I do think some of that happened in this last election, but but I think that's an interesting. It's in, I'm thinking too in terms of because you can, if you, for instance, if you tell a lie and you and you, but you believe it's to be true, that's an error. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right. 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 So right. that's so that's an error. Okay. If I know what the truth is and purposely choose not to do it, I'm lying. Yeah. Okay. All right. And but this middle, <laughs> but how how much discourse actually uh, ends up being in this middle ground, which you could say, from your definition, would uh, bullshit would cover most of that area. It covers a, a lot of ground, <laughs> it, it, not just as a, as profanity, but as a conce- working conceptual descriptive concept. Right. Right. It's funny because he, he he talks about you know why is there so much bullshit, and one of the things he says bullshit is unavoidable. Whenever circumstances require someone to talk without knowing what he is talking about. Thus, the production of bullshit is stimulated whenever a person's obligations or opportunities to speak about some topic exceed his knowledge of the facts that are relevant to that topic. 
And this discrepancy is common in public life, where people are frequently implied, impelled, whether by their own propensities or by the demands of others, to speak extensively about matters of which they are to some degree ignorant. Closely related instances arise from the widespread conviction that it is the responsibility of a citizen in a democracy to have opinions about everything, or at least everything that pertains to the conduct of his country's affairs. So that, I mean, that, so that, this idea that you've got to, I mean, think of the Obama uh, example. Here's an instance where he's required to speak with particular knowledge about a piece of legislation, which he probably, it's not possible for him to read inside. It's thousands of pages long. Right. He didn't work out. He did not know all the details. Yeah. So this is, and these, there's probably lots of things, but rather, you know, but there's this pressure to know that you do. Mm-hmm. So I just think that, that like it's this is a, and you see again this this we all have to have opinions and you look on social media look at Facebook and people just start talking with about things that that again they're not lying very often but they also don't know if what they're saying comports with reality but it seems like it comports with their reality so there we go right for instance I like President Trump the fact that he may have already broken the Constitution couldn't possibly be the case. And so, therefore, these people who are looking are just trying to find a way to get at him. And I do think what's on—I think what's problematic. Now, again, I don't, I don't know any president in the modern era. Uh, so that's that's go that's um, um, go you know let's go post Johnson, for instance. So I don't know any president since Nixon who's had a particularly comfortable relationship with the press. You know, I think there's a sense where um, you know on on one level. The fourth estate needs to be in an adversarial relationship as an as an extra check, and uh, and that's okay. And we also have seen what's happened uh, with you know the fact that the news the news parts or the news uh, divisions of networks used to not have to make a profit, but the push to make profit from that has really affected quality of what we get. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things wrong uh, can be criticized about about the media. But to begin your presidency by saying you have a war with the media, I mean, that's a, that's a purposeful attempt to discredit anything that they say and to create this increased skepticism that's already out there. And that's, to me, that's that's a dangerous, that is a very dangerous thing to do in a free society where we, we need we need that other check and balance that comes from from media. Yeah, and the truth about the media, the truth that's in the media critiques is the truth that, like, Frankfurt wrote a follow book called On the Truth, which is, they're both, like, less than 100 pages. And Frankfurt says that, you know, to 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 basically to know the truth, why it's, it's inherently important and good is because you learn early on that you're circumscri- circumscribed. You're, you're a finite reality. And so... Yeah. Learning the truth lets you know where you end and the world begins. Right. And so the, part of what like lying does is it, it tries to, it's a controlling thing. It tries to make your apprehension of, of the limits of yourself and where you end and the world begins captive to another person's deceptive frame of reference. And so what happens, he thinks though, is that if you, if you are a lover of the truth, you're a lover of facts but you don't necessarily have to be a lover of if you could be a lover of facts without being a lover of the truth. Right. And this is where facts could help the bullshitter. Right, right. I mean, you can because sometimes there'll be a, a fact that then gets inserted into a narrative that actually is still intended to falsify. But but the fact that it's true doesn't hurt 
the narrative because right. it fits into a deceptive framing of the narrative. Yeah, it's like every time it gets cold, there's a cold snap. Someone goes, well, all right, so much for global warming. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. these things, so I think that that, yeah. right. it's interesting that I think Frankfurt is onto some things about the nature of, of the significance of the truth, just existentially and emotionally. So, you know, he says, he, he talks about where, why lying is so painful. He says that the liar refuses to p- permit himself to the extent that he lies to be known. This is an insult to his victims. It's naturally injurious to their pride, for it denies them access to an elementary mode of human intimacy that is normally taken more or less for granted. The intimacy that consists in knowing what is on or what is in another person's mind. How do you see some of this playing out? I, I, I kind of earlier on, I talked about um, Christian discourse because it, it seems increasingly hard for Christians to have conversations about disagreements. Maybe it's always been hard, but that's why we've had holy wars and we have denominations and now we have, you know, non-denominations acting like denominations, things like that. So, uh, but it does seem to me that this, having a little more precision in, in one's thinking and in one's theology and one's preaching or teaching around the idea of, okay, what's true? Okay. What do I, what do I hold to be true by faith? Okay. For instance, is the resurrection a fact? You know, those kind of things. And how do you talk about that? And, you know, to say that it's a historical reality, I mean, I think the recall requires some, some precision how we go about that. I mean, we don't know that the resurrection happened, or we don't believe the resurrection happened in the same way that we, uh, you know, know that it's now 37 degrees outside. So uh, those are things I think that's in a kind of basic uh, I think some people lose faith, or some people put their faith in things that don't necessarily hold up, precisely because we don't have that kind of precision when it comes to what we articulate. Uh, sometimes, well intentioned, we want to, um, you know, we want to give people comfort, we want to give application to what the scriptures are saying. But um, I think that I think in reality, a lot of what gets said in pulpits and from Christian people in media, social media, or in books or articles or whatever, turns out not to be actually true or to be true of, a, of, of in such a way that needs more qualifiers than the kind of pronouncements that are often given. Yeah, and I, I think part of it, it also, there was a, a, a piece in the New York Times this week by Todd May called The Stories We Tell Ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he says that the, the audience for these stories, of course, affects the stories we tell. If we're trying to impress a date, we might tell a story that makes us seem interesting or witty or caring, whereas if we're trying to justify a dubious act to someone who is judging us, or perhaps ourselves, we might tell a story that makes us out to be without recourse in the situation. In the latter case, what we're doing is disassociating ourselves from a value we might be associated with and thus implicitly associate ourselves with a different one. Right, right. And it's just, I mean, I think some of it is that, I think that, that you know, that like I think another term in our public discourse for bullshit is narrative. When somebody starts saying, well, what, how are they framing the narrative? It's, you know I mean? It's, 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 it's just, you might as well say, how they're bullshitting us right, right now. Is this, so, I mean, I think so that it, oftentimes, like not, we start to literally believe our own bullshit. And, and then we're married to the to the narrative, which served a purpose for us at some point. Yeah, or are we holding on to our truth? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, what if our truth is stupid? 
Neil then yeah. <laughs> I mean or you know I, I don't mean that but you know there's an inherent there's there's an inherent idea there because it's mine and I've claimed it whether it be narrative or truth that it's it's you know it's real or has or is beneficial or is even necessarily helpful for me some of that is because I think that we when we're too identified with the stories we're telling and the truths that are part of them we when they become idols that do our identity work then we ha- we have to cling. I mean, it's almost it, it, it's like you you can't. It's like you, you can take this narrative out of my cold dead hands. You know, I mean that. I think we wind up in in, in those silos that we yeah, back ourselves yeah. into. Sometimes one person said to me, "Go, I just love the way you hold on to your truth." I go, "I'm not so wild about it. You can <laughs> you want to <laughs> you want to carry it for a while." Yeah, you yeah there you go. <laughs> No, I, I, I think, and again, uh, you know, it was funny. I, you, you, social media is a great place for to get these things, but I, I got into a semi back and forth with somebody about, uh, you know, uh, why we should bless Donald Trump because as Christians, what we bless, we bless, and what we curse gets cursed. And if that's true, then wait till this microphone goes off. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's. That's quite how it works. And um, I'm going to go bless lottery tickets if that's <laughs> walking right to the gas station. Right to the gas station. So I, I think, but, but there's a sense where this person was saying that we just need to be biblical. And so I pointed out where they weren't being biblical. I quoted some verses. And then they fell back on, well, you just need, if you just knew the character of God, you'd, you'd, you'd agree with me. Now, that probably is that person's truth. They probably were taught that from some pulpit. And, um, just like we learned about Hal's Geshishta in uh, seminary, that would be first-rate Bull's Geshishta from that person. But they, that's where they, that's the rock in which they stand on. And that rock is not, as a Christian, the revelation of Jesus Christ is a rock we stand on. That rock that she had was pretty slippery. Uh, and maybe she'll never have to be, maybe it'll never be tested, but. Slippery rock. That's a bad name for a school. <laughs> Except it has great t-shirts. I'm a doc from the rock. I like that. Yeah. So my friend CJ Green, who's one of these people that you resent because he's 23 and writes like he's like 53, uh, wrote this piece about this Todd May piece. And he says, echo chamber. It's a term we'll likely hear more of as news feeds grow more personalized and Google search is more predictive. We snuggle into an echo chamber that sings the songs we like to hear. The songs of self-justification and righteousness, like Willie Loman. We prefer to hear our stories of our greatness and goodness, even as the bankruptcy of these assumptions is is imminent. But there is someone who tells us a different story about us. It's a story much bigger and yet much simpler than the ones we tell about ourselves. It's the story of death and resurrection, of judgment and love, of the lost being found, the story of the old passing away and the new taking its place. It's the story of the death of a salesman and the raising of a free man. It is a story that tells us that our stories are none of our business, that our stories don't belong to us, and that the real story is coming to us. It is an echo chamber, to be sure, so that we may be always reminded of the love that was given for us. Maranatha. If you search for tenderness, it isn't hard to find. You can have the love you need to live But if you look for truthfulness You might just as well be blind It always seems to be so hard to give 
honesty is hardly ever heard and mostly what i need from you i can always find someone to say they sympathize if i wear my heart out on my sleeve but i don't want some pretty face to tell me pretty lies all i want is someone to be Cause you're the one that I 